I think we could probably sing all morning and that would be wonderful. But uh, we are short on time, uh, our time is, is limited, and we'd like to leave plenty of time for you all to overflow sharing. So um, we'll get right into this. Uh, my name is James Kennedy. I uh, currently live in that great state just north of Texas called Oklahoma. Not as great as Texas, but uh, <sighs> gotta be careful, I'm, I'm deep down in Texas right now. Um, it's, it's very good to be here. We had a good message last night. I heard, because I came in late, uh, we were driving over eight hours. We thought we were going to get in earlier, but anyhow, uh, I heard from a brother. It was very, very good. And I'd like to begin, actually, with having two volunteers come up here and give us one minute each, just a summary of uh, the sharing from message one last night. Two volunteers. Who will come? Bold volunteers. Okay, one. I have one more. One more. We only have one bold person in the room. Okay, come on up. Okay, now, we give you about one minute each, and even if you repeat, that's fine. Because we need repetition means penetration. Come on up, brother. Okay, so you'll go first, brother. I'm told that you need to put it here like an ice cream, but don't lick it. All right. Okay. Got it. Is it on? It's on. It's on. Okay. All right, so, let's see. So, that diagram. Beginning, uh, eternity past, what was the word? It came down to be on the world as the tabernacle, Jesus. Jesus, to save us, became the lamb and was di died on the cross. Amen. Then he, then he came and was buried. Then he was resurrected uh, as the dove. There we go. And it, to penetrate our to penetrate our spirit, to, yeah. so we could become precious stones yeah. in, the building, in the building of God's house. So now is the church, but in eternity future will be New Jerusalem. Amen. Very good. Okay, good. That's, that's hard to beat, brother. Be there. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I really enjoy message one, and it starts out with the unveiling of God's eternal purpose. In the first Roman rule, it says, The Gospel of John, a supplement to the synoptic gospel showing Christ's deity. Now, I fully enjoyed the verse Colossians 2, 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. And right in this verse, it shows that Jesus, right, in this point, it shows that Jesus is not just a fine human, but that he embodied the entire God, the entire living God. And it goes into... And then this outline goes into showing how Jesus is the life and it ultimately consummates in the building. And so just as the brother just stated in the Venn diagram, Jesus, oh, Jesus came down, right, in these, typified by the six signs. In the beginning, he was the word. And he became a man and tabernacled among us. And then he died and rose, making a life-giving spirit. Now he's entering into each one of us as yes. a life-giving spirit so that we may become stones for the building of his body, the house Amen. of God. Amen. 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 Very good. Okay, brothers did a great job. Okay, good. Okay, so message one uh, was actually a kind of an introduction to the book of John, and it covered life and building. And, it, you know, this chapter is also kind of an extract of the whole book of John and even an extract of the whole Bible itself. So just that first chapter is quite remarkable. So we're going to move on to the second chapter. We're going to cover two, uh, two major things here. 
Um, but before we do that, <clears throat> I want to cover a couple of things before we get into this. Number one is, what is life? I wasn't here last night, so I don't know how much uh, that was talked about. I'm sure life was talked about, but, but what is life? What is life? In the Bible, or in the New Testament, actually there are three different Greek words for life. Probably most of you have heard this, so we'll just kind of review. The first word is bios, bios, and that refers to the physical life. We get words like biology, um, biography, things like that. The second word is suke, P-S-U-C-H-E, suke. We get the words psychology, psychology, psychiatry, uh, what else? Anyhow, there's more words. Um, suke, that is the psychological life, the soul life. Okay, that's something a little bit more deep. Uh, the body, the physical life is very easy to realize. The soulish life, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to realize, but we know it's there. Otherwise, none of you would be students. So you need a mind, you need emotion, you need to make decisions and choices. There is another word in the Greek, the original language, for life in the New Testament, and that is zoe. We get words like zoology uh, from this word, but in the New Testament, it is exclusively used for the divine, uncreated, eternal life of God. That is the Zoe life. Now, I said, what is life? Actually, we need to say, who is life? Because Jesus Christ is life. In the first chapter of John, it said that in the word, who is Jesus Christ, is life. What word in the Greek do you think was used there? Zoe. Not bios, not suke, but zoe. In him was life. And then later on in uh, John uh, eleven twenty five, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. What a statement. Who, who could say that in history? Only Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Then in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the reality, and the zoe, the life. Okay, he is the life. And then in John 10, 10, he said, I have come that they may have, they meaning the believers, may have zoe, may have life, and even may have it abundantly. Okay, we, he came to give us life. He didn't come just to die on the cross. He came to give us life. And then in uh, many verses, but one, uh, John 3, 16, he says that those who believed into him would not perish, but would have eternal zoe, eternal life. So when we're talking about life, we're actually talking about a wonderful person, and that is Jesus Christ himself. If you encounter Jesus, you encounter the divine, uncreated, eternal, indestructible life of God. Okay, this is very important to realize. Okay, now the, the second thing to realize before we get into uh, the, the topic for this morning uh, is the way that John composes uh, the Gospel of John. It's quite remarkable. No other book is like it in the New Testament. Uh, John, of course, he wrote this book in his old age, and under the inspiration of the Spirit, he just laid out the Gospel of John in a certain way to present life to us and to present what life does for us and what life is and what is life's purpose. So he has a wonderful composition, and he has a number of cases and miracles which he calls signs that uh, describe to us what God's purpose is and describe to us what the divine life is and what the divine life will do for us. So it's very important to see John's, uh, John's composition. Um, I want to read you a verse. This is John 20, 31. This is uh, the second to last chapter. 
It's almost like he's concluding the book here, but he had 21. He needed to take care of a few other matters. Okay, he says this. Moreover, indeed, many other signs also Jesus did before his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. What life do you think that is? Zoe. In his name. So he, Jesus did many other signs. Actually, at the very end of John, he says the whole world couldn't contain the books that could be written about Jesus and what he did. But John selected a number of cases or a number of miracles, a number of stories that were actual stories, and he composed them in such a way that they would tell us something concerning this matter of life. So that's very important to realize. The other thing is, it's kind of like um, in, a, in a play. You have these acts and scenes. So John is presenting these, this case, you might even call it an act, or a, with scenes, and then another one, and then another one. And these all are telling a story. And this story is actually just God's purpose and His plan. But the wonderful thing is that we are included in that story. So there's a lot of personal application. And we're going to see this this morning as we go through this chapter. And actually, as you go through all of John, you will see there's many, many little elements there that can apply to us very personally. Very personally. So you're going to see a story, and you're going to see God's purpose and His plan in a, in a larger way. But also, you're going to see how it applies to you in a very uh, a personal and specific way. Okay. Now, how about let's all read the uh, title here, message, uh, Meeting 2. Ready? Go. Okay, so life's principle. In John 2, we're covering, firstly, life has a principle, and secondly, that life has a purpose. What is life's principle? Life's principle is to change death into life. Now, you might think, okay, death is just when you come to the end of your life and then you die. But actually, in the Bible, death is uh, shown to be much more than that. Um, that's true. But death actually has a lot of characteristics and a lot of elements. Uh, and we're, we see these in these cases in John, that death has a lot of kind of a, a manifestations, you might say. Um, and we'll see that in a minute. <clears throat> but death is, uh, is uh, something that we really need to see because it affects us. And as we'll see, we're full of death. Um, so we need our death changed to life. Um, if you look at the bottom of your page here, under the line, let's read that where it says life meeting. Let's all read that together. Ready? Go. Okay, so in this book, John selects nine cases that will show how life meets the need of man's every case, and each of these cases prove the principle of life which we will see shortly. So each of these cases, so you have the number one, the need of the moral, life's regenerating, the need of the immoral, life's satisfying, we'll cover these two at this conference. Then you have the need of the dying, life's healing, the need of the impotent, this is a manifestation or a characteristic of death, that's uh, life's enlivening, this is how life meets that need and proves the principle of life. Then you have the need of the hungry, which is life's feeding, the need of the thirsty, life's quenching, the need of those under the bondage of sin, life setting free. The need of the blind in religion, life's sight and life's shepherding. The need of the dead, life's resurrecting. Of course, that's the most obvious uh, story of changing death into life. But actually, all of these 
are just, uh, it, it's the same story, just with a slightly different manifestation of death or a characteristic of death. So we, we really need to see this. Um, now, maybe I can get a brother, a uh, couple brothers, maybe you two brothers, come up here. Okay, Caleb, you're going to be Jesus. Okay, come on over here in the middle. Okay, Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? What we talked about earlier. Who is Jesus? Life. life. Okay. Jesus is life. He's the divine, eternal, uncreated, indestructible life of God. Okay? So if you touch Jesus, you touch life. Okay? But with the principle of life, when you touch Jesus, not only is he life, but he will change, he will convert your death into life. So, brother, as soon as I touch, you need to convert me to life on that side. Okay? Okay, so, that's just, he's life, and, and that's just what he does. Thank you, brother. I'm sure that looks silly. Okay, so, so Elijah, Elijah comes, and he has a particular case. He is, and we'll talk about this tonight, he is moral. You might think, that doesn't have anything to do with death. Actually, we'll see. There's a need there as well. Here he comes. He touches life. Okay. Now, what about an immoral woman? Okay. Oh. Now, now, what about uh, someone under the bondage of sin? Okay, what about someone who's uh, just empty and thirsty within and not satisfied with that husband uh, wants a second one and a third one and a fourth one? Okay, okay, so, there's a, so you get the point. As, as soon as you touch Jesus, who is life, there's a change. There's a change. There's a conversion. His function, his principle is to change death into life. Okay, and this is not a physical change. This is not just a soulless change. This is a, a change in your inner being. Death into the divine life. Okay, thank you, brothers. Okay, so this we really need to see. Oh, no, sorry. I have one more thing. Come on up. One more thing. I missed it. And actually, maybe that's sovereign because you know what? We miss something else a lot of times. That is, there is a purpose to this. There is a direction to this. There's an aim to this. There's a goal to this. It's not just that he's changed. Okay, uh, let's say you are uh, hungry. You just have a deep hunger within. Okay, now, he, what then? What's next for this brother? He's touched life. He's satisfied within, but he's, it's not complete. It's not complete. There's a goal to this life, and you touched it uh, yesterday, last night. And that is this goal is God's building. He has to go in the direction of God's building. Okay, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't end there, then it's incomplete. It's incomplete. And we know the house of God is the church. And the church is composed of all the believers of Christ. This is why, thank you, brothers. This is why when after we are saved, the Lord changes our death into life, there's something within us that longs to meet with other believers. You know, I was in, uh, my wife and I were in uh, Africa. You gone to Africa last year in uh, December, and we went on a safari. And uh, we were right on the Nile River. We stayed three uh, nights at a hotel right literally. I mean, you're, it's like 100 feet out, there's the, the Nile River. And there's hippos out there and uh, cro crocodiles and elephants and all kinds of things. Okay, I was very struck by how some animals survive and they thrive and they're so comfortable in the water. But as soon as they come out of the water, they're in dangerous territory. They're in dangerous territory. Others are on land, and they do very well on land. They thrive on the land. They not only survive, but they thrive. They multiply on the land. They do very well. The environment, the condition is just right for their particular life. But as soon as they get near the water, 
and they get into the water, they're in danger. It's, it's not a good place for them. So um, with a Christian, it is the same. Our life has to be gathered with others that have that same life. We have to be in the church life. We have to meet with other believers. We have to pray with other believers. Like right now, we, we've gathered together. Why? Because the life within us loves to gather together. So if we don't have that, if we're not meeting with others in a Bible study, if we're not praying with others, if we're not uh, going to like college meetings every week and, and uh, ch church meetings, then what happens? This life, in a sense, kind of dies down. We don't thrive. We, we don't do very well. So this is very important to see that the end goal of life is actually God's building the church. Okay, let's go on now to the uh, message. And let's go to number one. How about let's all read that together. Ready? Go. Then how about let's have all the brothers uh, read A. Okay, now I'm going to read these two verses. <clears throat> Number one, And the third day a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus also was invited, as well as his disciples, to the wedding. Okay, if you have a pen, circle third day, circle wedding, circle Cana, circle Galilee, and then underline or just emphasize maybe two underlines. Jesus also was invited. Jesus also was invited. Now, remember, this is not just a story, but this is a sign. And a sign is a symbol with spiritual significance. Okay, that's very important. So when we're touching this story, even though it's a real story, it actually did happen in history, there are a lot of elements in it that convey to us some sp spiritual meaning, some spiritual meaning and spiritual significance. So all of those words I had you circle have their spiritual significance. What about the third day? The third day. Interestingly, just to show you how John is composing this, if you go to chapter 1, you will see that three times it says, and the next day. So if you come to chapter 2, it should say, and the fifth day. Because there's a day, and then there's the next day, number two, and the next day, number three, and the next day, number four. So it should come to, and the fifth day. But there's no, there wouldn't be meaning for that for this story. So John says, and the third day. We might say John is an error. No, John is a master composer. So he wants to alert us right away that this account happens on the third day. What does that mean, the third day? Actually, a lot is implied here. What significant thing in history happened on the third day? Resurrection, yeah. Jesus Christ was resurrected on the third day. Now, that implies that he had already gone through a process. Like you saw yesterday, he was incarnated. God became a man. God became flesh. The Word became flesh. He lived a genuine human life. He died on the cross for our redemption. And he resurrected, especially, we saw with the dove, to become a life-giving spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.45 said that the last Adam who is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, the Lord, referring to Jesus Christ, is the spirit. Okay? And then if you turn to John 6.63, we won't touch at this conference, it says the spirit gives life. Zoe life. Okay? Zoe life. So the third day means that Jesus Christ has gone through a process, has accomplished redemption for us, and he is available 
as the life-giving one, as the life-giving spirit. So this is the one who enters the scene here. So a lot is implied there, very significant. Okay, then uh, the next one I had you circle was wedding, a wedding. Well, what does marriage signify? Well, marriage means the continuation of human life. Human life cannot continue without a proper marriage according to God's creation. We need marriage, okay? But here was not only a marriage, it was a wedding or a wedding feast. Some versions call this a wedding feast. So with human, the continuation of human life, there is also a pleasure and an enjoyment. A pleasure and an enjoyment, okay? So human life has its pleasure and has its enjoyment. Okay, just remember that. And then uh, we went to Canaan and Galilee. I'll mention Galilee first. Galilee was a low, despised, and deserted place and a place of no reputation. This is Galilee. The Lord came to Galilee. The Lord didn't ask the Galileans to come up to heaven to where he was. The Lord humbled himself and went to the low and despised and detested and irreputable place. That means he came to us. Okay, we need to see this. We are Galilee, all of us. And then Cana, what is Cana? Cana means reed, reed. And reeds signify weak and fragile people. For instance, in both Isaiah 42 and the Matthew 12, it says that the Lord will not break a bruised reed. In the ancient times, they would take reeds and they would make a kind of a simple musical instrument out of them. But they would, because they're weak and they're fragile, they would bruise easily, and so you would just break it and throw it away. But the Lord, because he's merciful, he would not do that. He would not break a bruised reed. So this indicates that these reeds are weak and they're fragile. Another instance, uh, the Lord said to his, the people around him, he said, when you went out to see John the Baptist in the wilderness, did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? No. He was saying, John's not someone that is weak or fragile. He was strong. You didn't go out in the wilderness to see someone weak and fragile. You went and saw someone who's very strong. So again, indicating reeds signify weak and fragile. Weak and fragile. You and I are weak and fragile. I know the brothers are looking at me like, come on, man. I'm not weak and I'm not fragile. Uh, well, let me, let me give you four areas that we're, we're weak and fragile. Physically. Physically, we're weak. Okay. You know, right now, the whole human race is on edge because of a coronavirus. We're weak. We're fragile. Okay. You know, there's a terrible uh, story in Oklahoma about a month ago. There was this, um, actually, we have a sister who was involved kind of in this. There was a man who lost his son, uh, I think by a car accident, the day before, and then he got drunk the next day, and he was speeding down, uh, I mean, I think it's like 35-mile-an-hour area. He was going 78 miles per hour, and there were some uh, cross-country high school girls that were running. Okay? You would say they're fit. They're physically fit and he plowed into them. I think something like three or four died, and uh, the, one of the girls that, that meets with us, she was one of the ones that died, pushed her out of the way, and you know, she survived. So we, we're weak. Physically, we don't know what will happen if we step out the door, and I don't be afraid of everything, but it just shows that, that we're weak. We're weak, we're fragile. Okay, another area. Uh, psychologically, how many of you ever get stressed about tests? Anxious about things? Yeah, you know, we think we can take a lot until the circumstance kind of exposes. Actually, even psychologically, we're not that. I don't want you to get stressed now because uh, of all the tests. So. You all made the right choice to come here. Okay. Now, what about in our undertakings? In our undertakings. Okay. What's the date today? March what? How are your 
New Year's resolutions going? <laughs> yeah, okay. I think by March we realize, yeah, you know, not, not so well. We're weak in our undertakings. We're weak also in our morality. How many of you sin easily? Okay, come on. We all, yes, okay. If you say, I don't sin very easily, just try not to sin, and you will see. You will see. Okay. I'm not telling you to sin, but I'm just saying, we're weak. So we really are Cana. I hope you realize this. We really are Cana. Okay, now, Jesus was invited to this situation. If it was only the disciples, nothing would have happened. But because Jesus was invited, something happened wonderful. Jesus was the factor for change here. Jesus is the factor, is the factor for doing anything in our life that results in a, in a change for God. Okay, Jesus being invited is the most wonderful part of the story, I believe. Because once you invite him and you touch him, then something happens. So no matter how bad your situation is, no matter how bad your condition is, just have a little prayer and invite Jesus in. Okay, now let's go to B. How about, let's have a sisters read that. Ready, go. Okay, three says, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what do I have in this that concerns you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do. Now there were six stone water pots lying there, according to the Jews' rite of purification, holding two or three measures each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Okay, now circle the word wine, underline, ran out. Circle mother of Jesus. And then in verse 6, circle six stone water pots. And then on verse 7, circle water. And then underline, filled them up to the brims. So we'll just talk about those uh, points. Okay, what is wine? Wine is the life juice of the grape. Okay? It's the life juice of the grape. And actually, wine was really kind of the center of the wedding. It's kind of, the, as they say, the life of the party. Because with the wedding is the enjoyment and the pleasure, and that really is seen in the wine. Now, I know that kind of sounds bad, but this is the story here. The wine was the center, the focus. It was the enjoyment of this wedding feast. So this wine ran out, okay? So um, uh, we have to see when the wine runs out, that means the human life of that event ran out and the pleasure and the enjoyment ended. The pleasure and the enjoyment ended. Of course, we can see that we can build up an education, you know, become, get a PhD, and then you end up dying. So your human life has run out. Um, but even within our human life, a lot of things in our human life, actually everything in our human life, runs out and the pleasure and the enjoyment ends. This happens all the time. I remember, I've, I've said this story before, but uh, when I was very young, uh, Star Wars was a big thing. Is that still a big thing? Okay, Star Wars was, was a very big thing. And I remember I really loved the AT-AT Walker. Is that how they call the AT-AT Walker? Okay, AT? AT-AT? Okay, yeah, it's been a long time. Okay, so I just loved this toy. And, you know, it was about yay big. And I would lived in Montana. My grandfather lived in California. And he asked me, what do you want for your birthday? And I remembered exactly where that game was, uh, or not that game, that toy, on a certain shelf at Toys R Us in California, even though I was in Montana. So <laughs> I wrote him back, and I told him exactly where it was, and that's what I wanted. 
I was so excited. The mail came, snail mail, and uh, it got there. And I think by that day or the next day, it ended. The pleasure and the enjoyment ran out. What about, that may sound silly, but I mean, I was so excited that everything was invested in that and it ran out so quickly. What about video games? What about movies? I mean, we're always looking for that next thing, that next thing because that's going to satisfy us. And then so quickly, it's gone. The human life of that is ended. The enjoyment and the pleasure is gone. It's end. So this is what it means here when it says that the, the wine ran out, the wine ran out. Okay, now what about the mother of Jesus? The mother of Jesus here symbolizes the natural man. Maybe a little harder to see, but it's the natural man, which has nothing to do with life. Because look at verse 4. He said, woman, what do I have in this that concerns you? So life, and it kind of sounds rude, but he's not being rude. He's just, you know, it's the story here. He's saying that the natural man has nothing to do with the Zoe life. Not only so, but it has to be subdued by the Zoe life. So in the next verse, she says, whatever he says to you, do. She got subdued, okay? So again, this is not like a woman's thing, or it's just this how the story present, is presenting to us, that the natural man has nothing to do with life, and it needs to be subdued by life, by the divine life. Okay, then you go on to um, six stone water pots. Well, do you recall what happened significantly on the sixth day in creation? In creation, who? Man, yeah, man was created. So this signifies the created man, six days, and uh, of course these were stone water pots. Stone is something natural. So it's just, just again, referring to the created natural man. And then he said to have, it, have them fill it up to the brim with water. Well, water in the Bible has two main significances. If it's flowing water, what do you think that signifies? Life, the divine life. But if it's stagnant water, but still water is death. One time I visited in Israel, the, the Dead Sea. Water goes in, even nowadays, not much water, but no water goes out. It's just still, and nothing lives there. They call it the Dead Sea for a reason. It's dead. It's dead. So these six stone water pots signify man who is full of death. And again, you're thinking, I'm not full of death. I'm very much alive. I ran this morning, and I'm going to run again tomorrow morning. Well, remember, death has many manifestations or characteristics. Sickness is a characteristic of death. Spiritually, emptiness, being under the bondage of sin, uh, thirst for meaning, all these things uh, are manifestations or characterizations of death. So here we are uh, with death. Now, what can solve the problem of death? Can technology? No, Google is not going to do it. Amazon is not going to solve the problem of death. Philosophy will not solve the problem of death. Microsoft or who's the next? Tesla is not, they're not going to do it. They may make a better car, but they're not going to solve the problem of death and all of its characteristics and manifestations. Only Christ, who is life, can solve the problem of death because only He can change death into life. Okay, let's go to C. How about let's all read that together? Ready, go. Okay, I'll read the verses again. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it to him. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, which had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man sets out the good wine first. And why is that? Good wine first. 
because you know you, your senses are, are there more. You, you get the good wine first, and you're like, okay, this tastes great. And then as you get more drunk, give them the bad wine, because they, they don't know. They won't know the difference. Okay. So, and when they have drunk freely, then that which is worse. Okay. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, after this change, you have good wine. Good wine. This beginning of signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed into him. Okay, circle the word tasted. Then circle become wine. Then circle good wine on verse 10. Underline beginning of beginning of signs. And then circle manifested his glory. Manifested his glory. Okay. You know, when they tasted this wine, which this uh, wine, which the water that had become wine, when they tasted it, immediately they noticed something was different. Something was different. And this happens to us. When we touch Jesus Christ to his life, and he, according to his principle and his function, he changed our death into life, there will be something that will taste different about us. This is very true. I remember story when I was in high school, because I was a kind of a wild kid, um, and, uh, you know, if you went to the, the uh, what do they call it, where they, you all come together and they have the, you know, the basketball is, what's that building called? Like a gymnasium, or there's another word. Anyway, okay. We, when we all went there, you'd have all the, the cliques that were together, you know, everybody that was a cowboy, they would be over here, and everybody that was, you know, whatever. In this one corner over here, you had everything that was kind of black and silver from like chains and, you know, rings and, you know, hooks and all that kind of stuff. I was over in that group. Uh, that was during my high school days. So, <laughs> so uh, and I had my friends with me, you know, I had my long hair and, you know, a skull and crossbone earring and, you know, anyhow, it was kind of wild. Short period of my life. Okay. So, uh, anyhow, in the, my mid-high school, the Lord really uh, turned me around. I turned to him he turned me and he changed my life. And then uh, I dropped all my old friends. And then eventually, a little later on, I got married and I moved away uh, for 10 years up to uh, Idaho and Washington. Okay, when I came back to, this is in Amarillo, Texas. So I used to be in Texas. Um, I came back to Texas. I decided to call one of my old friends. Now, when I was with him, he was in that same group. He's a big guy, muscular, long hair, earrings on both ears. I mean, he was a mess. Okay, so I call him up, and we decide to meet. I was with my wife, and he had gotten married. And we, I went to his house, and, and we, I get out of the car, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and we're totally different. His hair is short. He had actually had a turn towards the Lord I didn't know about. And he got saved, and, and uh, anyhow, it was wonderful. And he was just, I mean, he was wearing normal clothes and, and uh, with normal colors, and, and uh, he had kids. And we were both looking at each other like, wow, what happened? Well, what happened was Jesus happened. Jesus happened, and there was a result. There was an issue. Not just an outward issue, but there was something that happened within, and there was a kind of a manifestation. We tasted different. The flavor was different. Okay, so this, this will happen with, with all of us when we touch the Lord. D.L. Moody, a great American evangelist in the 19th century, he said that the greatest miracle that the Lord performs in man is to enliven those who are dead in sins. So this is the greatest miracle, something that happens within you. This is wonderful. Okay, then, um, okay, it says tasted. Okay, there was a noticeable taste, and it was good wine, good wine. So they were happy. They were very happy. 
They were satisfied. They, they now got the good wine. The wine had run out, so there was a panic. But now the, the water had been changed to wine. They were satisfied. This is the result. When our, our death is changed into life, we are satisfied deep within. Amen. We are satisfied deep within. And not only so, but ultimately, what's manifested is God's glory. So this is the ver in verse 11. It says, uh, he manifested his glory. Glory is just God expressed. So God will be expressed in your life. And then he says this uh, in 11, this beginning of signs. So the according to the principle of first mentioning, this kind of establishes that principle for everything throughout the Bible. So here it's the beginning of signs. That means that what the Lord will do after this in all these cases is change death into life. That's why they say this is life's principle, life's principle. Okay, now, to conclude this portion, how, in the light of this story, how can we have our, changed, our death changed into life? How? Okay, I'll mention four things. Number one, we need to realize and confess our condition. That means we need to realize and confess that we are Galilee. We're low, we're despised, we're irreputable because of sin. Also, we are Cana. We're weak. We're fragile. I mentioned those four areas. We really are. And uh, the sooner we realize that, the better. So we need to confess that we're Cana. Also, we need to confess that we are the water pots of water. That means we are filled with death and the manifestations of death. That's our condition. We have to confess that. Number two, we need to realize and believe into the Lord. And I'll point you to the matter of the third day. Because it's on the third day, it means that Jesus Christ had already been processed through incarnation, human living, death for redemption, and resurrection to give us life. This had already happened, so we need to believe into Him. And if we believe into Him, then we will receive Him. So this is the third point. We need to receive Him. And I would even link this to that, uh, that matter where it says they had invited Jesus. To invite Jesus is to receive Jesus. And this is connected with believing. Actually, in the Bible, to believe is to receive. And then finally, we need to obey the Lord's word, obey his command. They had said, okay, whatever, the mother had said, whatever he says to you, do. And because they followed through on his command, his word, then that miracle could be accomplished. So we need to follow the Lord's word. And I'll mention two verses here that are very important in following the Lord's word. John 3.16, the Lord said, Believe, he who, uh, he who believes into the Lord, the Son of God, would not perish but would have eternal life. So we need to believe into the Lord Jesus, number one. Another one is Mark 16.16. 16. That one says, the Lord said, after he resurrected, Believe, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. So this is another word to us. We need to not only believe into the Lord, but also we need to be baptized. So if we want to follow this kind of this uh, a sequence in obeying the Lord's command, that we need to also pay attention to this other command, be baptized. So I hope all of you would have this consideration. If, you're not if you have not been baptized, that you would follow the Lord's word. Believe and be baptized. Okay, now let's go to the next uh, section. And that is life's purpose to build the house of God. Let's all read that together. Number two. Ready, go. Life's purpose to build the house of God. 
Okay, I'm going to mention three main things as we go through this. Um, Okay, firstly, we have to realize that the house of God is God's dwelling place. God's dwelling place. Now, there are two main things that a dwelling place is for. Two main things. Number one, it's for living. It's for living. And number two, it's, it's for expressing. Expressing. So if you would move into a house, okay, uh, Gabriel. Okay, so let's say you, you bought a house, and there's somebody who's already living there. All the furniture is in all the rooms of that person, and uh, all the pictures are on the wall, and, but you bought the house, and they let you in, or that person lets you in. You come in, you own the house, it's yours, you purchased it, okay? And now you're in the house, but that person doesn't remove any of the furniture, and it keeps all the pictures on the wall, and he doesn't let you go farther than the front room. Are you living in the house? Yeah, kind of, and kind of not. Okay. And also, it's not your furniture. It's not, there's not your pictures on the wall. You don't actually even like any of those pictures. So is that house, even though you own it, is that house expressing you? No. Okay. So if we were to move into a place, we would get rid of everything or tell that person, take everything out, remove it. I'm actually going to give a paint job to every room, and I'm going to bring all my own stuff in so it expresses me. Okay, how many of you have received Jesus Christ into your heart? Okay, yes, hopefully everyone in this room. Okay, does the Lord live inside of you? Yes. Yes. Does the Lord thoroughly live inside of you? Yeah, maybe not so much. Okay, okay. So you get my point. The Lord wants to live thoroughly inside of our heart. That means he wants to go into every room, into every chamber, And eventually, he wants to change all the pictures. In other words, he wants that dwelling place to express him. Okay? So uh, we have to let the Lord into our heart more, into our thoughts. Has the Lord come into all of your thoughts? Probably not. Same with me. Has the Lord come into all of your desires? Are there still some desires that are totally only yours? Or are they the Lord's totally? Yeah, I, I think we can all say they're not... They're not entirely the Lord's. How about our choices? Every choice that we make, we make thousands of choices a day. Is every choice the choice of God? No. Okay. So, of course, this is a progress. We are WIPs. We're works in progress. The Lord is more and more living in us, and more and more he is changing us so that he would be expressed through us. So this is what it means to be the dwelling place of God. Now, in the Old Testament, you talked about last night... Um, you had the dwelling place of God was in firstly the tabernacle and then in the temple, okay? Those are physical places. In the New Testament, you now have three things, you might say, or three aspects. Number one, Jesus was the tabernacle. We saw that in verse 14 of chapter 1. And number two, we're going to see in these verses, he also is the temple. So Jesus himself is the tabernacle and the temple of God. That means that he is the dwelling place of God. That's why Colossians 2.9, it's under the line uh, on your page, it says that in him, that means in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. So Jesus was the walking dwelling place of God. Okay, not only so, but we ourselves personally are the dwelling place of God. You have this verse under the line there that says, uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? 
Okay, it says, 619R, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So all of us here personally are the dwelling place of God. Not only is Jesus, but we also are. And then finally, these other verses show that the church, which is just the, uh, uh, all the believers together corporately, we are the dwelling place of God. So Jesus is, we are personally, and the church especially corporately is the dwelling place of God. Okay, now let's get into to this uh, little story here. Okay, A says, Christ cleansing the temple. Uh, 12 says, and after this, he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they remained there not many days. And the Passover of the Jews was, there, was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers sitting there. And having made a whip out of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, as well as the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the money of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these away from here. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of your house shall devour me. Okay, so here he says clearly, well, circle the word he in verse 14, he. And then circle the word temple in verse 14. And then in verse 15, circle the word made, having made. And then circle the words whip out of cords. And then underline, he drove them all out. Okay. Satan, the enemy of God would like to frustrate God's purpose. And God's purpose has everything to do with his dwelling place. So Satan would like to do something to frustrate and to damage and to destroy God's dwelling place, personally and especially corporately as the church. Okay, so Satan does two things. Firstly, he will contaminate the dwelling place of God. He will contaminate it. Secondly, he will ultimately try to just destroy the temple. So that's what we're going to see here. And we're going to see how Jesus responds to what Satan does. Okay? So firstly, Satan contaminates it. And that's what we see. Here was the house of God, and they were there with their sheep and oxen, and they were selling, and they had the money changers. And Jesus was, was very mad. So what does he do? He grabs, and I made, uh, I found some common ordinary ropes, cords in my garage. Okay, so I cut this up. Did some macrame. Okay, so I made a little whip. Jesus, notice that it says he made a whip out of cords. Jesus made. I think this is very significant. Jesus made the whip, and then he drove them out. Just drove them out. Now, this, is, this doesn't hurt, but anyhow. He drove them out. And he flipped over the tables, and he, he drove them out. And this common, ordinary thing he used to drive them out of the dwelling place of God. Okay? Significant. What, what does this signify? What does it mean? Well, it's common and ordinary. Some use the word cords or some use the word rushes. They're just very common, very ordinary. This means that when contamination comes to the dwelling place of God, that's both personally and corporately as the church, the Lord uses common, ordinary things in our life to cleanse us, to cleanse the church. So he may use... Your finances 
You may think, ah, oh, everything's going great, and I'm just doing what I want to do, and the Lord will come in and touch your finances. And you know what you will do? You'll say, oh, Lord Jesus, Lord, my finances. You start turning to the Lord. And maybe the Lord starts dealing with your heart. Some things that are in your heart that are not supposed to be in that dwelling place. You see? So the Lord will use your finances. Or he may use your roommate. Or he may use your, your, your exams. He may allow you to, to fail on a certain exam that will cause you to be, okay, Lord, I've been playing around. <laughs> There's been a lot of things <laughs> happening in my heart. That's probably never happened to any of you. And then I'll, you turn to the Lord, Lord, okay, Lord. I, I, I take you in. I, I just call on you. And so the Lord used that failed exam. You see, the Lord used common and ordinary things in your life. He may use other brothers and sisters among you. He, may, he just uses all kinds of things, all kinds of things. So just remember, when it seems like bad things happen, don't just immediately say, oh, man, Satan's out to get me. Well, mm, okay, that may happen sometimes. Okay, and, and again, Satan is trying to destroy us, destroy us. But also God made the whip of cords to cleanse. So don't immediately attach Satan to everything bad that happens to you. Okay, it may actually be God making a whip so that your heart can be cleansed, so that the church where you're at can be cleansed, so that he can live more in the church where you're at, so that he can be expressed more in the church where you're at. Okay, so to me, this is very, very significant. Okay, then uh, the final point I'll mention, and then we're going to have a good time for, for sharing. <clears throat> um, he cleanses the temple, and then uh, I just love how the Lord, this next part of the story how the Lord speaks. Okay, so B says, The body of Jesus, the temple, destroyed and raised up in resurrection. The Jews then answered and said to him, What sign do you show us, seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, To me, this is, this is almost like a challenge. The Lord says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You know, they asked for a sign, but then he just says, He's giving them a sign in a sense, but it's almost like, he, it's almost as if he's saying, Bring it on. Bring it on. Destroy this temple. Three days, I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, this temple was built in 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days. But he spoke of the temple of his body. Okay, this shows that he is also the temple. Uh, John 1.14, he's the tabernacle here. He is the temple of God. So he's the dwelling place of God. When therefore the, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Okay, Satan comes in to contaminate, so the Lord has to use things to, uh, to whip the things out of us, to scourge, to cleanse the dwelling place of God. Then Satan ultimately wants to destroy the temple. And you know what? Sometimes it seems like he actually succeeds because they actually did destroy Jesus, right? They put him to death on the cross. And it lasted three days. He was in the grave. So sometimes this happens, and the Lord lets a period of time go by where it seems like it, the destruction is there. What can Jesus do? He's been destroyed. Satan has won. But again, the Lord said, destroy this temple. Bring it on. Because I'm going to, after this period of time, I'm going to come back up in resurrection. And you know what's going to happen? Something more will rise up. And this is very wonderful. We already mentioned that in resurrection, the Lord became a life-giving one, a life-giving spirit, okay? But there are some other things that happened in, in resurrection that were, that were quite significant. It says that he became the firstborn among many brothers in resurrection. 
And if you look at uh, Ephesians 2.8, it says that we, I think it's 2.8 or 2.6, uh, where it says that we were raised up together with Christ. So when Christ was raised from the dead, it wasn't just him. We were raised with him. And then in 1 Peter 1.3, it says that we were regenerated out of his resurrection. So when he rose from the dead, he became the firstborn, so he's first, among many brothers, we all were regenerated at that time, okay? I know we were regenerated in time, five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. <clears throat> but according to the fact in history, we were regenerated 2,000 years ago. Okay, so you have to help me in this. Um, we have to realize when Satan comes to destroy, something may happen, something may get destroyed, but the Lord will bring it back in resurrection and what comes up in resurrection will be more. Okay, so Dylan, can you help me real quick? Okay, Dylan is going to be Jesus. He looks like Jesus. He's got the taste of Jesus. Jesus has been operating in his heart. Okay, so Dylan says, bring it on. Okay, destroy this temple. Satan, do your best. Okay, and Satan does, and, he, and it looks pretty serious. I mean, he kills him. Okay, that's pretty serious. Okay, so he dies. Okay, go down. You just sit down. He's dead, and he's buried for three days. Now, when he, when he comes up in resurrection, I want you to just come up in resurrection in just a minute when I tell you, and you just come and say, Jesus is Lord. Okay, when he does that, I want all of us to stand up at the same time and say, Jesus is Lord right after him, okay? So you can get an impression of what Satan did, which is bad, and what the Lord will do. Okay, how about you come on up now? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Okay, let's do it again, brother. Let's do it again, okay? Let's, come on. Jesus is Lord! Jesus is Lord! Okay, this is wonderful. So thank you, brother. So, this really happened. But even more than the people in this room. The Lord was crucified, but he came up in resurrection after he was destroyed. And what came up was more. So don't be bothered when some kind of destruction comes to you. That's okay. Just enjoy the resurrection life. And the resurrection life will raise you up and something more will come up. That will be greater, and this will be the building of God. Because all these ones that were, came up in resurrection actually compose the church, which is the building of God, the dwelling place of God. This is really wonderful. Okay, we'll stop here.